Stalker Channing. Channing. Can you start your show? <laughs> I could be looking for a hat right now. I could have been looking for a hat for half an hour. I would rather have been looking for a hat. There's a group in the headlines today. Did Democrats just save civilization? <laughs> because of the Inflation Reduction Act. Hey, maybe. Utterly iron brains a podcast hopelessly devoted to you the loyal listener and committed to being your one-stop shop in the great internet brain irons content maw for everything you could possibly need emotionally psychologically spiritually and physically cast iron brains a podcast for the whole you a guiding reassuring darkness of ignorance and dismay in the blinding light of everyone else's guruic absolutism my name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too, clicking away yeah. quite loudly. Yeah. I How you doing be tonight, louder. Lori? My wrist hurts. Well, stop clicking so much. No, that feels fine, actually. Lori's wrist hurts. Tonight is Monday. August the 8th, 2022. We're uh, a little bit over a week since we last recorded, and there's breaking news tonight, Abe. Uh, yeah. The FBI has been busy at Mar-a-Lago today, raiding the former president's estate, including, according to Trump himself, where he <laughs> posted something on his social media and lifestyle network, uh, Truth Social, I think it's called, that his safe was broken into. They're on the hunt for documents down there. What do you think this means, Abe? Is uh, the FBI? I got. Uh, what are they up to? A brief, a brief, uh, totally unrelated aside. I know he's trying to peddle his social media side, but this would be an opportunity to just do a press release, right? Just write it and send it out, like the olden days. You don't need to like post it on your stupid website that nobody goes to, and then have Maggie or some other reporter pick it up and post it on Twitter where everybody is. It's just, the whole thing is just ridiculous. But um, Or they could just they could just let him back on Twitter. And they could. Uh, fucking civilization yeah. wouldn't end after all. That They could just put him back on fucking Twitter and we could all see his awfulness for ourselves every goddamn day. And we right. wouldn't have to worry about him being president again because he would, it just wouldn't, I don't know. I, I think it would be fine if he was back on Twitter. And besides, Paul Krugman just today uh, wrote a column suggesting that Biden and the Democrats literally just saved civilization. Uh, that <laughs> headline, <laughs> did Democrats just save civilization? And the column answers basically in the affirmative. It should be. So if Paul Krugman, Krugman thinks that civilization is going to be fine, as it turns out, I think we can afford to let the former president back on Twitter. Right. No, I agree. I, it, it would make things easier. But on, on the actual thing, now this is happening while we're recording, so... Whatever we say here, especially whatever so I'm So we're saying. distracted. Sorry. Yeah. Whatever I'm going to say is probably going to be wrong. But, like, this is from my well, perspective. Like that's a whole lot different from any other. <laughs> Abe's never been there. wrong. That's Abe's right. never been wrong. Yeah. Blame, blame the shifting sands of a hot news story, Abe. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the reason. I don't have all the facts. But uh, this is one of those things that you can't get wrong, right? Like, so if I'm the FBI, like, you better have a really good reason to do this. Because, I mean, already Trump is talking up how it's a political witch hunt, even though 
the FBI director he nominated uh, to his post. Uh, but if it turns out to be like some minor thing, then you did a big thing, like an. Uh, I guess it's unprecedented, right? This has never actually happened before. But what's never happened before? Like had the a, FBI, a, at the behest of a he, Justice Department investigation, gets he, a warrant to go tearing through a ex-president's it's house? It's just the ex-president part that's never... Like, FBI raids people's houses all the time, right? right? But, yes, but well, I, I'm not sure <laughs> of how often they do it, but... I don't remember a president being the subject. The, the who very much matters here. <laughs> but, like, fuck him. Who right. cares? But but it seems like the most likely scenario is that because Trump, he's many things, but one of them is not. He's not very careful with sensitive documents. So if it ends up being just, like, the mishandling of document stuff we want back, do you think that warrants a search warrant? Like, even though, like, he is in the wrong, like— to take this drastic a step for something where, yeah, it's fucked up, it's wrong, you shouldn't be flushing things down the toilet, you didn't give back everything we wanted, but we're going to do this search warrant just so we can get some more sensitive documents back. Do you think that that... If well, it, no, it has to be... there. Right. The warrant must be in in search of a crime, right? Well, it's the not crime the crime itself would be that, right? I mean, the he's not the president anymore. He no, I don't mean that. In search of evidence of that crime. Like, they're not... They're not trying to recover the documents because they don't want them to fall into the hands of ne'er-do-wells. Right. <laughs> the problem is that the president absconded with shit that he shouldn't have, apparently. Right. I love in his in his, his lengthy screed that he talked about how, oh, and Hillary Clinton ran off with antique furniture from the White House back in the 90s. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Like, that, that, that statement, like, Every now and again, it's like, well, somebody else wrote this. Like, the, there's chunks of it where someone else clearly wrote it. But then you get to those parts, it's like, oh, that's definitely Trump. That's like textbook right, right. Trump. That's where Trump is yelling across the room. Yeah. Put the thing about the furniture <laughs> in there. <laughs> but where? Just anywhere. Just put it in there. What do you think? Do you think it's something more serious? Do you think there's any connection to uh, a seemingly unrelated case like Alex Jones? Do you think there's some other crime we don't even know of? Like, what do you think it could be? Because I'm thinking it has to be that, the documents that are ill-gotten and gained, and he may I don't know. be I was using... reading. We were reading a thread on Twitter about how this it must be related to some sort of actual, like, actionable intelligence that they recently got in order to execute this search warrant and, and spe- specify the fact that they're, like, going to be going into safes and they're going to be looking... Like, they have to specify the things that they're looking for and roughly where they are looking for them. Right. And in order to have that level of confidence, because it is, this is like a monumental thing, Lori's dismissal of it uh, notwithstanding. It's a huge deal when the FBI goes into a former president's residence and starts fucking tossing drawers and breaking into safes. Like, it's a huge, huge deal. And the assumption has to be, like, they're better, like, you know, as I've as we said a month ago, or whatever, you come for the king, you best not miss. Yeah. There better be fucking something. Yeah, where they better they better have had really tremendous reason uh, to have done this thing because if not, it's going to be very very bad. And not just like if he if there's any anything to in the same way that if there was anything to Obama spied on me, yeah, uh, that, that it would have been a big deal if they yeah. could actually prove something along those lines, and not just like well you. We were listening to Russian assets, and right. your people happened to come across <laughs> yeah. the the transom on the right. on the call list or whatever. Right. Uh, 
like that's not spying on you. That's just what happens when intelligence wires get crossed. But like if it's anything like the those FBI warrants, like in the the Carter Page stuff, where yeah. it like wasn't clear that these were these were solid warrants, right? And it was based on like reusing the same information over and over again, and then using the fact. Like, as I recall, it was like the fact that this was a thing that was getting covered in media became part of the reason why the warrants were being issued in the first place. Like, it better be on much more solid footing than that. And I have to imagine that it is because, again, this is now – whatever else it is, it is a rival political party that's in charge of this Justice Department. Now, apparently the White House didn't even know this was going to happen. That's the word that we're getting – at this point, and of course, people will completely ignore that. People will say that that's utter nonsense. And right. It would be so naive think to believe. If if that's to be believed, and I think that that's true. I don't think the White House, like, we don't want to even seem like we're, in, you know, interfering with this process. But, like, do you think it went up to the FBI director, Christopher Wray, or do you think it went up even higher to the justice? Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's any way that you can raid a former president's house without getting the attorney general and the head of the FBI to sign off on it. Okay. That doesn't mean that they issued the warrant themselves and that they, but, but they, it definitely came across their desk. I don't, right. see, I don't see there's any way that it didn't. I think so. Yeah. Again, we don't, yeah. we don't know anything about this. We'll find out more as the week goes on. Presumably, the warrant itself will leak at some point because these things have a tendency to do that. This is the you know, somebody at Mar-a-Lago was handed the warrant, which has a, a whole Why? bunch of relevant information on it, right? And presu- presumably, that's going to make its way out into the wider public one way or another, right? Pretty soon. Could I suspect? I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how these things go, but I assume that they have to declare some sort of crime that took place, and they have to say we're looking for these specific items. And if the, that's in fact how it works, all of the things that they have listed better be there. Like, cause if it's like, oops, like you, like if I, I think the worst case scenario is like, this was a fishing expedition and then they weren't able to find any fish. Um, and they just look pretty stupid. So I'm just right. saying, just get it right. Whatever the, it is. The unconnected stories thing that you mentioned is that people are speculating wildly on Twitter that somehow the fact that Alex Jones's phone became part of the January 6th record over the weekend somehow connects to the fact that now there's a search of the president's domicile down there in Florida. And that, I mean, that's just, it, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous and narrative story building and conspiracy theorizing and all the rest, but I, I can't imagine that those two things actually connect. I mean, the timing, I guess that's what they're life. going off, right? Basically, this thing happened, like, this remarkably stupid action by the lawyer for Alex Jones. Like, that doesn't make sense. And then now we have this uh, activity by the FBI. So it's like, I can see if you're conspiracy-minded and you like connecting dots that don't exist, this would be fertile ground for that, right? Yeah. I, uh... I think we'll get into Alex Jones in a little bit here. We can run through a couple of things. I'm trying to trying a new format for the show, sort of loosely, where I don't edit the fucking thing. We just put it out as it as it came out of our mouths, perhaps on the long term to the point where we could just fucking live stream the thing and then be done yeah. with it. Like maybe like that'll be the that's the fucking dream is we just come down here into the basement, we dial you up there in Atlanta yeah. and we're we're done in two hours. Or less, significantly less than two hours. 
Uh, without any editing. It'd be like must-see TV Monday nights. Although sometimes Tuesday and sometimes (laughs) Wednesday and sometimes Thursday. Right. But also not television. More like, you know, radio. Must hear (laughs) radio. Like This American Life, except sometimes Monday, but also sometimes Tuesday. Olivia Newton-John is dead. That's what we're here. No, we're not going to discuss that. She, uh... I do wonder, though, in the initial obit published by the New York Times, <laughs> they said that Miss Olivia Newton-John was, I believe it was, she was likable, is the, but they, like, whatever else the, whatever else the critics had to say about how <laughs> shitty her music was, she had four albums that sold over two million copies apiece, and it must be acknowledged that she was likable. And I, is it my own like disgusting cynicism that reads she was likable as a sort of underhanded uh, shade throwing is not maybe, quite a compliment. Maybe yeah, I just, think so. Maybe they just ran out of steam. They needed to finish a sentence. I mean, it said more than anything else, she was likable. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> I think that it's saying like, unlike everyone else, she was likable. Was likability so? That's maybe that that is my own cynicism then, because yes. I don't see likability as a positive character I don't, trait. I mean, <laughs> inherently, at the very least, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's a good thing to be likable. But does anyone like strive it's like for charming? I it's know, like but calling somebody. No, it's not. To, no, I'm not saying it is like. I don't. I'm not saying right. that charming and likable are the same thing. But in the same way that people say he's so charming, right. as a way of complimenting someone, and I always get a squicky feeling from people who are so <laughs> charming. Yeah, but so likable's not the same. Likable, yeah, li- it's like, Emily is just so likable. Yeah, if this was in a yes. British paper, it would be agreeable, I guess. But, like, what, is yeah. it that you, you, they couldn't find anything more to the person? Like, it's, like, such a generic thing to say I about mean, somebody? What the fuck else do we want to say? She doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, don't, it's nice don't they're it's letting us know. She yeah. doesn't yeah, don't write that. <laughs> the two lines on Olivia Newton-John's tombstone now are, she was likable and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Here lies Olivia Newton-John. So maybe we've talked about this on the show. I've decided that when I die, yeah. I want everyone... Who, like, Bob, Julia, people who are going to know because it affects them directly, to just act really mad at me. Like, to (laughs) everyone else, just be like, I don't want to talk about her. Just like, and even use the phrase, she's dead to me. (laughs) And then, like, six months later, people will be like, hey, do you ever, like, make up? And be like, oh, no, she's dead. She's been dead. (laughs) And then they're not even allowed to be sad about it because it's been so long. Like, everyone's over it. That's my wish. I'm saying it now. So you want me to be quietly furious at you. Yes. After your death. Yes. And never give a rationalization for it. Well, not never. Just not soon. Yeah. All right. Just like... Don't tell I think, anyone. I think I can manage Don't to, tell people I died I think until I can manage way to later. Fake that. Uh. Yeah, like it'll be tricky. Like, if it happens soon with the kids, there'd be trauma. 
But like later on, I just want everybody to like not talk about can it. Can I keep the ruse up with the children? Can I can I be quietly <laughs> furious they at you be on keep asking. and greatly relieved at no, your I'll passing? No, I'll write this down somewhere at some point. But like I want everyone who it can't be hidden from yeah. to act just like they don't want to talk about me. And then eventually, six months, 12 months, whatever, you're allowed to tell people. That it that would be, it would be such a cruel ruse that you have now... Per, per, I know! You've now done this to me. You've required of me <laughs> to no, then I have to... I took off of you the need to tell everyone with through tears that I died. You could just act mad, which you will be. Mm. You'll probably be dead already. <laughs> yeah, be that's serious. probably true. And all, although, do you think, Bob, you could survive that... Like, even though you tell them it's a rude six months out, people are going to uh, uh, think uh, very harshly of you. I mean, other people they're like gonna, They're Julia going to Brooke assume that I killed her. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they don't know I'm dead. No, but after I didn't admit that you'd been dead for a year, and then it's like, yeah, she, she died. It was fine, actually, in her sleep. That was, and no, there's no body, and uh, it's all very normal. No, all you people, like you and my mom, or who, like whoever's around will know. Yeah. It's not like it's just you. There right. are people I talk to constantly. Right, They'll the, all know. Yeah, sure. But you're, So you're saying outside of the immediate 30 people in yes. my life that I need to appear as a murderer to... No, that's on you. The extended social Anyway, circle. I think it would be uh, hilarious. Be- it's much more likely that by the time you die, if I'm still alive, I simply won't have an extended social circle because I, I just won't. All right, great. I win. Abe will still be in that apartment That's in Atlanta right. with nothing on the walls all these years later. <laughs> and we just have a two-person. That is the most likely of the scenario of all this, yes. All right, Abe. Last week in Kansas, uh, Kansans passed or, or failed to pass a constitutional change that would have eliminated abortion in this state and this came as a great surprise to a great many pundits on both sides of the political spectrum for reasons that well are not immediately clear to me i think in having thought about them a little bit over the course of the last week seems to me that the only way that you could be truly surprised as to what happened in kansas last week is if you exist entirely within your own bubble and have very specific thoughts about the ideological leanings of those who do not exist in your bubble right. and not any real connection to the reality of the world around you. Because I, for one, not that I'm uh, the last so connected. Right, the last two and a half years proved nothing besides that I'm not a great uh, prognosticator of politics, but I was not remotely surprised that Kansas thoroughly defeated this attempt to outlaw abortion in the state via constitutional amendment. In fact, I would have been quite surprised if it had gone the other way. Instead, it went 59 or so to 41 or so in a in a state that voted relatively, I think, 56% or yeah, something like comfortably, that uh, for, for, yeah. for the president, yeah. vo- voted comfortably for Trump, but then voted even more comfortably to not outlaw abortion via the constitutional process now to be to be fair to the partisan bubble people who were surprised um 
a lot of the polls showed that it was going to be close. Uh, I don't think anybody predicted the spread, like the 16, 18 point spread. Like it was going to be such a comfortable uh, victory for that side, right? So it's like it was supposed to be close. It could go either way. That's what I heard beforehand. I mean, I don't know shit about Kansas. So, so here's my feeling about that is that it is one thing to call somebody up on the telephone yeah. and get them to answer the question, do you think that abortion should be outlawed in your state? And it's another thing to go to the polls and actually vote to say we want a constitutional amendment to ban abortion in our state. I don't I mean, again, I'm not trying to sound smarter than I am, and I didn't say anything about this on the show before the vote took place, so it's not like I can point back and say, yeah, I knew this was coming. But it's not at all surprising to me that you would have, any, even in deep red Kansas, which has voted for Republicans as far back as, I mean, I think the 60s was the last time they voted for a Democrat. They might have voted for LBJ. Although Kansas is weird because, like, on the presidential, yeah, they've had a bunch of Democrats. Yeah, and they currently have the a Democratic governor, kind of like uh, Kentucky. These weird states where I guess it's the Northeast kind of has that the other way, right? Liberal states that have like Republican governors, you know, right? Uh, yeah, Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, Larry Larry yeah. Hogan in they're Maryland, folksy people. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I I just was not at all surprised by this result because I think that there's. As as we've said in the show in the last couple months, since we've been talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the vast middle of this country on abortion largely wants it to be safe, legal, and rare. Right. And going so far as to ban it in the constitution of your state means that that is not the path that your state is going down. Right. Also, so they had it already on the books that they had a constitutional protection. This was right. going so to undo that. So I guess it was an that. attempt right. to repeal. To it was undo, an attempt to repeal yeah. a previous constitutional amendment right. that established the constitutional right to abortion in the state of Kansas, and they did not pull that back. Right. And I and I further, I don't think that it says anything about anything right. when That's it comes be, to November. Right. Which is what the other half of the media equation was in the immediate aftermath of the Kansas vote was. Oh, what does this mean for November? And all the storm and drong about. Uh, how this actually means the Democrats are in really good shape and that the Republicans have been overstating their case for taking back the House. It's like, no, no, no. This is about one thing. It's about the fact that there's an abortion amendment on the ballot. And it's very specific. It's not It's not two candidates who have differing views right. on abortion who want to then go on to enact legislation uh, based on those views by using the legislative process. Right. This was an up or down ban abortion or don't ban abortion right. in our state according to the Constitution thing, that's what got people motivated to vote, and that's what got people to say, uh, to the tune of 59% of them, that we want to keep abortion as, a, as an option in our state. And I don't, I don't think that translates at all to any other race beyond other constitutional amendments that would give you an up or down vote on abortion. Like, I don't think that this is the sort of thing that actually is in conversation with regular uh, political races across the spectrum. So you don't think that uh, they can take this win and use it as a kind of a referendum on abortion access in the midterm? Because, you know, the midterms, yeah, you have the local issues, but like also the president who's not on the ballot affects how things go, right? So if people have a low opinion of the president, they're going to take that out on the candidates on the ballot in the midterms, right? So 
You don't think a similar thing can apply with, hey, this abortion thing seems to be a 70% kind of issue, even though it was only 60% here, but like one of these issues where it's not just partisan. They can't use that to say this candidate in this district is for limiting all abortions, right? You don't think they can make that argument and make it into like make that person, that candidate defend I think, the I case? I think that abortion, abortion becomes one of a long list of things in a candidate's sort of personality profile. It does not become a defining issue. Right. Except for a very, very small set of people, unless it's actually a defining issue right. in the form of a constitutional amendment. Right. Like I, and I know that people take it very seriously, and I fully understand why. It's a very big fucking deal. But at the same time, there's just – I mean maybe I'm, I'm obviously limited by my own experience, but like Bob Good's relative position on the abortion question has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not he's going to win in my district and certainly whether or not he's going to win my vote. Uh, right. I, and he's my he's my congressman, and I suspect that that's the case for a lot of people who either like or don't like their so particular you, person. You don't think there's going to be a uh, turnout by those people who are the opposite of you? They don't actually care about this particular candidate for their issues, but if they perceive you to be on one side of the abortion issue, they want to come out and vote against you. You don't think that's a possibility? I mean, I don't know. Uh, for members of of the house, like I just I just right. don't see how it translates. But what are the, to okay? So then, what are the issues that people are going to vote on if not that? Just like the general economy, the state of the economy at that particular point in November. The the House of Representatives hinges almost entirely, or not hinges, but there's a great correlation between the popularity of the sitting president right. and the party that he represents, and then how that party does in. In the midterms, right. like it's just a, it's a fact, right. and it has only ever in modern times only ever been proven wrong once, and that was after the terrorist attacks in nine eleven. Right. Like it required uh, literally nine eleven to overturn that sort of momentum, and as long as Joe Biden is hovering in the high thirties in terms of approval, right. his party is going to get wiped right. out in the midterms. Now, it it happens also. That there's an unfavorable – on top of there being sort of a, a Democratic-leaning map for the Senate this time around, the one the seats that they could have poached in a normal so-called like blue wave type year, yeah. they've managed to put up just god-awful candidates. Yeah. And you, whether it's in Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz against Fetterman, whether it's in Georgia with Herschel Walker who's still trailing – He's still trailing the governor, uh, yeah. Kemp, by five or six points. And so Warnock is likely to win there just because of his is just his unique unfitness for yeah. – like yeah. no matter how much this is going to be a, a, a red wave, which I expect it will be, that so many of these Republican candidates are not acceptable. It's it's 2010 all over again in a lot of ways as, as far as that goes where you had – what was a huge red wave, uh, sort of slightly mitigated by the fact that a whole bunch of these people were were just completely unacceptable candidates in both 2010 and 2012. Yeah, and and that goes out in uh, where else? What's what's the other one? There's one more big. Oh, Masters in Arizona. In the absolutely yeah. insane state of politics in in Arizona, which if you're a Republican. 
not that very many people listening to this are Republicans probably, but like if you're a Republican looking at Arizona, you better hope that that's the outlier weirdo that's going to like be lopped off the end of your party yeah. and not the future of politics for your party because they're completely fucking insane. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see how, like, in a true wave election, you would expect the Republicans to win in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Ohio, and, and pick up, like, five or six of these seats and right. not quite get to the 60 that are necessary. And, and, like, you'd expect Ron Johnson to easily hang on to his seat in Wisconsin. Yeah. But Ron Johnson is a fucking terrible candidate, yeah. even as a, as a sitting United States senator who could easily lose, even, even though uh, he has the benefits of, of having been there for some time. And, and it, yeah, he's a fucking absolute Looney Tune. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're going to see... I think there's an increasing chance, because, of course, I made my bold prediction at the start of the year about how the Senate and the House would both go uh, to the Republicans in the November elections. And given who the Republicans have, have ended up nominating, right. I think that there's now a there's now a 50-50 chance that the Senate doesn't actually change hands, and instead we just have split government again. You could say, like, what Mitch McConnell said, is that it could either slightly go Republican or slightly stay Democrat. Right. Or or we could just have the 50-50 split again. Those yeah. were the or three it, or, options. Yeah, third option that, is that it would be the split. A brilliant political mind, Mitch McConnell decided were, were possibilities this year. <laughs> but, you know, this has, you know, at least at the beginning of the year, had all the makings of a red wave and it seems like the Republicans are kind of getting in their own way, first with the bad candidates being presented, especially at the Senate level and the governorships, although that doesn't really matter for the federal uh, makeup. Uh, and then now, like I said, with the issues, the burn pit thing kind of blew in their face. It just kind of was a bad news cycle yeah, for that's them. A, that's a bad yeah, 72 a blip, right. hours. Yes, yes. Was that, that a pun, matter. the burn pits blowing in their face? Because that was a good pun, <laughs> if you meant it. <laughs> yes, let's go with I did. Uh, but... But Bob, you, you keep on dismissing. Yeah, these are all like, yeah, little things, whatever blip is in July, who cares? But like, I assume that the plan will be to try to get uh, the the candidates to take a position on abortion. Like the Democratic uh, candidates and their, you know, allies will try to get particular candidates in, in competitive districts to take a position. Like, what do you believe should happen? Should we be more like this or more like that? They won't, you know, the candidates won't want to engage. Like, they'll, they'll want to talk know. about the economy. Stacey Abrams still didn't do the thing I wanted her to do. She had the opportunity. She was on, I think she was on Meet the Press this weekend. She was on one of the cable shows or one of the Sunday shows. And she said that uh, she thought that the old Georgia regime of 20 weeks or 22 weeks, whatever it used to be, was, was an unacceptable restriction on the right to abortion. And she gives the argument that from a strictly medical, scientific side of things, and, and she gives the same sort of argument that you have given before, which is that setting any number is arbitrary and that the sort of late-term abortions that happen are not abortions of choice, but they're abort like, uh, you know, emergency necessities. Right. The sorts of stories that we've now been hearing and we will hear more of uh, over the course of the summer about women who have been forced to carry defunct pregnancies. Right. That's not the right term. But, yeah. But, <laughs> defunct. <laughs> Been forced to carry outdated, uh, basically already miscarried fetuses in their bodies, uh, risking their health for an unreasonable length of time. To the point where I heard something on the on the radio this past week 
about this woman who went in for an ultrasound and found out that the there was no heartbeat and like the the fetus was not viable and she needed to have it evacuated but she was this was a, a little bit later in her pregnancy and it was past 20 weeks or something along those lines and they couldn't just do it right away because of the of concern about the the state of abortion access in that state and so she had to basically like reschedule for two weeks from now or something after because they had to go through a battery of tests or they had to establish some sort of baseline where this thing was dead and was not going to live in her body and as she's leaving the hospital after that traumatic visit with her doctor this is a pregnancy that she wanted she wanted to have the baby she's just found out that the baby is dead and that in a in the previous regime they probably would have kept her there and in the next like 18 to 24 hours or something the procedure would have been done and it would have been yeah yeah it it would have been a trauma but that would have been the end of the story basically at least in that moment instead as she's getting into her car after that appointment she gets a, a phone call like there's an automated system through the hospital where like the nurse practitioner at the at the the natal center of the hospital calls her up and is like so we want to get you ready for your uh, upcoming delivery. We want to, you know, we want to give you this checklist of things to be ready for. Yeah. And she like fucking loses her mind, right? Like she's <laughs> like, like, and, and understandably so, right? Like she she has a complete mental yeah. uh, and emotional breakdown with this nurse on the phone, who's at, at no fault herself for just calling to try to ske- do some uh, bu- bureaucratic scheduling work. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's those sorts of like terrible stories that we will continue to hear more about. And yeah, I understand your point about how it's a statistically vanishing thing and setting an arbitrary number of weeks when it should be allowed or not allowed. Yes, 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 yes. But also there's like uh, some huge percentage of human beings who believe that insolment happens at a certain point. And this is a very fraught, moral and weighty issue. And living in a pluralistic society means while you don't have to agree with any of those things, you do have to navigate uh, the world right. with the reality that they will make life completely unlivable if you completely ignore their point of view. Right, right? But the- so you have to you have to fold those points of view into the arbitrary rules that you make about how we're all collectively going to navigate the world. Right. And that means, like Stacey Abrams should be willing to say when she goes on Meet the Press, yes, I would. I would compromise with a 15-week or an 18-week ban, so-called, if it meant ensuring that access to abortion continued in the state of Georgia uh, in a legislature that's made up of a bunch of people who would like to see it banned. Like, that would actually be a tremendous win. I mean, who would be the audience for that message? Because like you said, you know, there are people— People who, who want abortion access no, in the state of Georgia right, should be the audience you for already that. have them— on your side, right? What I'm saying is that these people we should consider uh, who believe in these things, right? Uh, they believe in whatever. Uh, they wouldn't be okay with – that's why I was saying the number doesn't make any sense. It's like you, you it would be okay to kill, in their estimation, a fetus at 15 weeks but not at 16 weeks. Like would they be agreeable to that? Like it, it, to me, it seems like the, uh, a lot of people in the pro-life uh, movement – put themselves in this unwinnable position to where, like, 
Right. You but what possibly... I'm, and all I'm saying is that you win by negotiating with them, even if they never move from their position. You win the argument with the vast majority of the people who believe that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare simply by acknowledging that this is a big deal for them, rather than saying, we think that everything should be like it is in New York, right. where you can get a like where we light up the Empire State Building in celebration of the fact that we've made ourselves the most liberal state in terms of abortion access. Right. And perhaps, right? I mean, you may be right, but I think a better argument would be just to kind of, and it's unfortunate that it has to happen, but to point to the consequence of these positions that they have with the 10-year-olds getting raped uh, and impregnated and having to go to a different state. Like, basically, this is your bullshit reality that you want to live in. Like, making these concessions... To people who are not interested in any consent, it's not like if there was an option like, oh, let's go from 20 weeks to 16 weeks and let that be that, that would be one thing, right? Even though to me, I still don't understand why is this a political process? It's a medical issue. But okay, fine. We live in a democracy. We'll play along. But when when people are like, okay, let's settle at 16 weeks, that's not the end game. The end game is to get to zero, right? So if they get to 16, they'll take 16 today. Okay, but then 12 if the next end game time, is to get to eight, zero – Right, I mean, you the end game is to get to zero for them. You cannot say that uh, that our end game is to get to forty weeks no. on the other side, right? So this strategy- if you're saying it's if you're saying it's strictly a medical issue and that there is no situation in which an abortion actually happens at thirty five weeks or whatever out of out of some choice that where it's anything but a tragedy for all involved, right. I might agree with you, but we can't then go saying we just need to make abortion access legal all the way up to no, uh, but who'd making that argument? The baby is delivered. Who's making that argument though? The thing is, what was happening before the June decision? That just everybody get back to doing your regular stuff. It seemed like it was working. People had the opportunity to right. And all, all I'm saying is that, is that Stacey Abrams going on Meet the Press and saying that 20 or 22 weeks wasn't good enough, which was the Roe standard essentially, right. uh, or or close to. Because it, it was viability. If, if the standard Roe, wasn't. If, if the Roe yeah. and Casey standard wasn't good enough for Stacey Abrams, she's not going to win any votes in the state of Georgia from people who are sort of on the fence about how they feel about abortion, right? Right. And that's that's all I'm saying is that if you're going to make it about – you're not going to make that race strictly about abortion one way or another. Right. And you're certainly not going to do it if you're going to say that on, on the one side we have Brian Kemp who wants to limit it to uh, not, not have any exceptions and instead – uh, basically ban abortion, and on the other side we have me, Stacey Abrams, who thinks it's just a medical decision between a woman and her doctor, right. and that there are no moral issues here uh, whatsoever. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to have the abortion argument again. It's just I, I don't think that there's any reason to think that the upcoming election hinges on Abortion, and I don't think that anything that happened in Kansas, unless you happen to be in a state where there will be that on the ballot, where there's an actual constitutional amendment for abortion on the ballot, and that would that would drive – there's reason to believe that that would drive excess uh, voter registration and, and, and excess of women showing up to vote uh, where otherwise they might not have. And then there Excessive could be – women. <laughs> and then there could be some downstream effect of that on the other races conceivably where you're more likely to have someone who shows up to vote straight blue or something along those right. lines because they're voting to preserve the right to abortion uh, to some extent. That's plausible. But unless you live in a, in a district where that's actually happening, I don't think that abortion will have a meaningful impact on the election 
coming up. Um, let's see, what else have we got this week? Uh, sort of on these same lines, since we're talking about pregnant people, we can do this. There was an article in ProPublica that I linked to last week. I don't know if you got through it. It was very long. Uh, but the long and the short of it is that COVID-19 vaccines weren't tested oh. on pregnant people. Uh, and it was asserting that this is a problem, not just for COVID-19 vaccines, but for a whole host of other uh, medical testing that goes on where we have determined sort of as a culture or as an industry, as a pharmaceutical industry, that we're not going to do a lot of testing of these things on oh, pregnant people. I have people. this problem at my job. What's that? When people are like, is it safe to color your hair when you're pregnant? Like, well, they're not going to find out. Right. It's so, bullshit. Yes, it's safe. Sure, it's probably safe. Probably nothing. It's safe. And to think anything else is to think less of every hairstylist child that's ever born. Like, yeah. it's good enough for me, but it's not good enough for you. You mean, like, because every hairstylist dyes their hair when they're pregnant? No, because we're in it all day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm breathing it. I'm touching it. Yeah, probably most of us get our color done. But, like, it's okay for me to be touching the poison, but not for you and your precious fetus. Gotcha. Yes, it's fucking fine. <laughs> your anger about that <laughs> reminds me of my own disdain for organic milk, which is... Uh, which is a yeah, very, it's very similar. It's a weird place to take this conversation, perhaps. But there's something that the the key thing, the main reason that I don't buy organic milk, Abe, yeah. is because it costs like fucking seven dollars right. a gallon. But that's how true for uh, many is, organic products, right? It's just a lot right, more money. This, but like, uh, on the one hand, we have organic milk, which is seven dollars a gallon, and on the other hand, we have regular milk, which is like two fifty a gallon. Seven dollars a gallon now. No, now it's up to like three dollars <laughs> yeah. a gallon. Uh, I'm sure it's still wildly subsidized and and should probably cost more than that. I don't have any reason to believe that, except that I think that we probably that sounds about subsidize right, the dairy industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's that. There's the fact that it is in excess of double or more the cost of a regular gallon of milk. Uh, but it's not just that, because, of course, we're relatively wealthy people in terms no, of... No, we're not. I mean, in Please terms Please send of, money. <laughs> don't tell people we're wealthy. Uh, we're send not, money. Relatively. It's so. not that... I'm, I'm just trying to account for the vast majority of humans who have ever walked the earth. Uh, right, compared, I'm trying to get money, so... <laughs> compared to them, we're quite wealthy. Uh, but there's something that, was, that always struck me, especially when it comes to food... And and organic foods of of like weird class stuff that I just don't want to participate in because the the way that they sell you organic milk is that it's better for you because it doesn't have they don't feed the cows hormones right. or whatever and maybe they don't they don't stick it full of like I forget exactly why organic milk is supposed to be better than regular milk. But there's just something about the fact that regular milk is two dollars a gallon. And that, like, some for somebody who makes like less than the median wage or whatever, and is uh, 
and has a family of four right. and only earns like $35,000 a year or something like that, they literally just cannot buy right. $7 milk. Yeah. Like it would, it's just completely – it's an absurd thing. Like the $2 milk is already hard enough for somebody on a, a certain amount of income to be able to afford, never mind fucking $7 a gallon. And that – like the idea that I would indulge in – like there's like I don't know why, but there's like a weird. What was that Matt Damon movie about the cloud people? Like Elysium. Oh. Like there's a there's an element of like uh, people who buy organic milk and only shop at Whole Foods and only go buy organic stuff from Trader Joe's. Stop talking about your mother like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean my mother particularly, but it's like they're indulging in a sort of placing themselves above the proletariat above the unwashed masses in a way right. that makes me like wildly uncomfortable but you think and i'm sure that my tune would change if not if i had more money but like if there were actual demonstrable health benefits to yeah. drinking <laughs> organic like yeah. if it, if it was obvious to me that the whole organic thing actually fucking mattered and that you could live a much healthier better life if you only ever ate uh, the organic milk instead of the regular milk. Whereas there's like there's absolutely no reason to believe that drinking regular milk or instead of organic milk. Or if it's all we could get, like if it were outcomes. wildly inconvenient, like if we didn't have a car and we lived in a downtown situation and there were only a Whole Foods, yeah. right? And to get to the regular grocery store was not worth the yes, time we, and effort. We, we lived in a food desert except Whole Foods. <laughs> Very well, common. But in Athens, I could walk to right. it Earth It was easier Fair. to go to Earth Fair than it was to go to any other It was other easy, store. it was close, and they don't have cheap milk there, but, like, that's fine because it's right there. Right. And also, yeah. I mean... The, but it is the same thing as fucking coloring your hair when you're pregnant it makes me so mad i don't even hide it from them i don't when they're like i'm pregnant is it okay like well i have two kids and i smell color all day and touch it and also everybody i know has a bunch of kids and as far as i know none of us are like well, super retarded yeah, so not, yeah. also my son thought that uh, buzz <laughs> or not buzz my son thought that neil armstrong was mickey mouse or vice versa He's not so gonna he let might that down that, that might have been no, the leaching of the of the hair chemicals it's not clear but you don't think it's you it's, it almost seems like you're looking at it from, from the opposite way because there are people, especially you know, in like uh, urban parts of town, like where I live, where people just have a lot of disposable income, and so they're catering to yeah. them. They're like, "Hey, the regular stuff is fine, but like this milk is like lived in a VIP farm and uh, some cow and this and you know they, all these well, that's the health thing. benefits." There's stuff. a difference between buy this thing that's more expensive because you can yeah. and it's probably better, right? And Oh, don't buy that. Right. That will kill you. Yeah. Right. That's what but poor that's the thing. people yeah. People who have to buy a Kia, your Kia is not going to fucking kill right. you any more than your BMW is, right? right? Now, yeah, sure, it maybe might. the BMW is built to a higher safety standard or something along those lines. But, like, there's not an inherent – I guess – There's nothing about yeah. buying the, the cheaper product most of the time – that says something to you about the health of the individual. Right. Like, and I read a thing this week about how like ultra processed foods are, are giving yeah. people yeah. Alzheimer's yeah. or whatever. That's the thing. The organic processed foods, I'll buy those. I'll buy those more. <laughs> but, right, like, but there's no reason, there's not really any good reason to believe that ultra processed organic foods are better for you than 
a fucking ho-ho or whatever. Like a an ultra-processed ho-ho, it, it, organic or not, is still ultra-processed and presumably uh, has the same effects on your brain in negative ways as as does the regular stuff. Well, what about like meat, pro- like chicken? Like it's not like a farm, ra- you know, all these stupid words that they use. This is a farm raised this and it didn't do that. And maybe those are so actually healthier. So I'm more sympathetic to like organ- the, 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 that sort of free range yeah. organic beef and chicken argument just because just from the the other end of the moral spectrum in terms of the life of the animal, right? right. Like you the reason that you feel squicky about buying the 4.99 rotisserie chicken at Costco even though they're selling it as a loss leader even though even though they're selling that $5 chicken for uh less than it cost them to produce it it's not like they're just letting those chickens rain free right. uh, for extended periods right. of time in in happy circumstances before, before they go they to slaughter before they fucking kill them anyway yeah. who cares <laughs> Right, yeah, but I mean, but at least I, I sort of understand coming at it from that perspective, where it's not as much about the health of the individual end consumer. I mean, it certainly is marketed that way right. too, though, in terms of uh, organic beef and and chicken. I mean, those fancy farm turkeys do taste better. <laughs> yeah. Like the Thanksgiving, like those turkeys are better than the regular turkey. Well, sure, like farm fresh meat that hasn't been frozen yeah. and and traveled across the country 3000 miles is going to taste better than Yeah, that tastes better. than that, but I don't know. It, it's not the So it's you not think it's it's different because there's really no upside other than just you have the money and you're spending it on bullshit milk. Uh so you don't draw comparisons to like uh your car uh comparison like somebody getting a regular like Honda uh versus like an electric vehicle. They're more expensive, but they're also Apparently better for the environment. I don't know. Is it like that? It's not. It's you. I guess you can make that comparison when it comes to milk, organic milk, because you're just paying extra for nothing. I mean, because if you're not polluting as much carbon into the atmosphere, that's a benefit for all right. of the globe, presumably. Right? right? It's it's not as important to you as an individual in terms of your health. Also, I would think that the person who buys an electric car, like they're buying it to eventually spend less right. money on gas. Right. Like it, it's not like it's not entirely like selfless, you know. They're actually getting yeah, something. Yeah, but it's still yeah, it's still se- ultimately that seems cheaper. Totally unrelated. Right. It's still ultimately cheaper to buy a nineteen thousand dollar gas guzzling car that gets thirty miles to the gallon than it is to buy a fifty thousand dollar electric car. Right. Like, anyway, you were going to talk about vaccines that I got us off in a different place, right? Because the same problem it's the, it's a, they're it, never what i tell them is they're never going to take a bunch of pregnant women and put a bunch of hair color on some of them yeah and not put a bunch of hair color on other ones and then follow the health of their babies for 90 years yeah. and report back that's not going to happen right so is there so the question ultimately becomes is it good or not that we are not testing these sorts of things on pregnant people is it reasonable to believe that we should be? Well, it, um, but isn't I mean, isn't the whole idea like it's it's, it's not worth the the trade off isn't worth it if somebody is pregnant? Is that not why they don't use them as often when it comes to these studies? Like we don't want to be testing things out if something goes wrong on a healthy non pregnant person. Whatever, it'll be fine. Uh, but now you, you're fucking up two people. Unnecessarily, like is that not why they do it that way? They not include. Yeah, I'm assuming it's because if you're if you advance to the point of human trials of of whatever the thing is that if it goes wrong, you want to test it on only one person at a time, 
rather than one person and the baby. Right. And also, I mean, it's a though everyone is born, it's not like everybody is pregnant all of the time, right? So it's a relatively small percentage of the population at any given time right. that's actually pregnant. Uh, though everyone is born is a funny. Clause. I just found the framing to be like, and I. I think it's a it's a it's a good thing worth talking about, and I'll link to the ProPublica article. It was just the way that it was framed that sort of made me a little bit crazy. Right. Like it, it's a good idea to talk about whether or not uh, about the extent to which not testing this vaccine on pregnant people led to people being unsure of whether or not to get the vaccine as it became available when they were pregnant. My sister in law went through this; she was pregnant as the vaccine became available and there just there wasn't clear guidance from anyone as to whether or not she should get the vaccine and then you like yeah you should talk to your doctor her, her. but like the doctor the largely like, I don't know. right the doctor doesn't know and the doctor is overwhelmingly just going to conf- like the doctor is a person yeah. who just wants to the doctor just said well it says in time magazine it's fine yeah. so but also like you should do what you think is best for yourself and your baby is what the overwhelming majority of doctors are going to say anyway, I think. Uh, And I just, I don't know. If the vaccine had ended up having even a tiny percentage of bad outcomes for pregnant people and their fetuses, that would have been a fucking calamity, right? And then we would have a whole series of articles about that. And the fact that it wasn't is, you know good ultimately but i don't know how mad we can be yeah. at the makers of the vaccine for not willy-nilly testing it on pregnant people we didn't fucking know now we know no. better and pregnant people should get vaccinated because it seems it's fine and also if there was uh if they did do that there would be a pro publica article the other way <laughs> how dare you right that that that, that. i did see something um a, a tweet that said and it had a graph. This is well-sourced. I'm not just pulling nonsense off the internet. Uh, if I told you that the carbon footprint per capita in the United States is the same now as it was in what previous year? And we, we can assume uh, on, a, on a graph roughly following from the start of the Industrial Revolution, you would have gone from the normal human has almost no carbon footprint uh, to, uh, you know... A, a straight line up <laughs> for a long time yeah. in terms of uh, United States citizens having their carbon footprint. At what point do you think we've achieved now going backwards in that graph? Because to, for 70s, a long time, 1975, for a long time, that's my guess. It was always that this year, the carbon footprint of the average American has gone up compared to, yeah this same person last year for the last while now it's actually been going down so uh lori says 19 the mid 1970s abe when would you guess 1987 the correct answer is that and i wanted to read it and now i'm gonna have to edit this part you're so bad at this (laughs) i lost my place you have a computer U.S. carbon footprint per capita now down to 1949. Oh, levels. 1949. Go us. That just means that we've become wildly more efficient. Uh, that's that's all, of, all that matters. Right. It is all that matters in our country, and it's yeah. good for us. 
and perhaps in uh, Krugman-esque fashion, we have in fact saved civilization. Uh, the problem is not us, despite, I mean, to an extent, yes, it's us. I will acknowledge well, it that. isn't anymore. We're in the 40s. But yeah, oh. compared to the other developing nations of the world, Brazil, India, China, uh, we're doing pretty good. I thought China was doing better. Oh, no. No, no, no. I thought they fixed it. No, they, they burn way more coal than like anybody else on the planet. It's very bad. Well, yeah, but like they're not better than they were. I think they're probably more better than they were than we are. I think you just made that up, but I have no way of having any any way of proving or disproving it, so I'll just let it lie. Um, Also on the environment stuff, I was reading in the New York Times a couple of op-eds this week. Don't do that. And these, these seem sort of vaguely connected. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'll let you decide. This is an op-ed from August 8th, which is today, actually. So, yeah, this came out today. Exercise was the perfect coping mechanism until it wasn't. And this is by someone named Emmy Nietfield, or Nietfeld, who's written a fucking memoir because she's in her 40s or so, I think, and therefore... I think it's because she sat down and did it. She just banged it out memoir. and decided it was done, and that's how she exactly. wrote it. Have I complained <laughs> about living in the age of the memoir before on this show? Wait, no, but uh, just real quick, is that too young for you to write a memoir? How old would it be okay for somebody to write a memoir? I don't know her name or what she had done. Therefore, she should not have a memoir. So the no right year. (laughs) No right age. There's no right year. It is a question of stature in the wider culture. David Sedaris writes memoir. That's what he does, and he's good at it. Yeah, he writes hilarious little short essays. Yeah, but... That's what it is. But that didn't start. This woman has not made a career. He did. Right. He made a career out of telling short stories on the radio about himself. And then he realized, oh, there's a huge market for me talking funny about my stupid life. And then it proved the thesis. This woman is going to sell 3,000 copies of a fucking memoir and get an op-ed in the Times. You could, too. Could be you. That's what I'm... I don't (laughs) want to sell a fucking memoir and sell 3,500 copies like uh, a hundred and seventy five of which are in a box in my basement with my signature on them that nobody fucking wants like that that's not a it's just no way to be there's in the world no, that's all there, I'm saying there's too many goddamn memoirs there, there's no there, you cannot have enough books I mean they can just exist without you knowing them right um and yes i I, I get your point though they're not noteworthy enough to write a memoir that's you can be snarky <laughs> to me all you want, but you know I'm goddamn right here. Anyway, she uh, exercised a lot after cutting herself as a as a high schooler. Okay. She then developed a great deal of shame because she was cutting and people found out about it. And so she didn't want to do that anymore. But what she realized was that she could get a similar impact on her uh, psyche uh, from exercising like a mad woman. And she ends up sort of destroying her body, as it turns out. Oh, so she went like all and out she, with it. So she went like 30 minutes here, an hour there. Like she's no, no, no. She she goes to college and she gets on the fucking crew team and wins okay. a national championship in rowing. Like, and she does that while starting her morning. Like, normally the crew people are crazy because they get up at five in the morning to go do rowing practice for an hour before they then have to go have class or whatever. She would get up an hour before that and get a five mile run in before joining her teammates for rowing practice at five in the morning. Right. So she's a fucking total tryhard. Yeah. A crazy person, but also 
this is something that to her was reinforced as a positive thing, right? Like she's working really hard. It's physical fitness. Yeah, just like skinny people. And even when she was overdoing it, it felt like she was getting positive reinforcement to a certain extent because it's just because of her own hard work that she's hurting herself. Uh, This is a long way of getting to the end here where the, for me, the money line of the op-ed... Oops, I'm not trying to add a bookmark. I'm trying to word search. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't stop. After graduating, she went to some fucking Ivy League, I think, by the way. Uh, I think she went to Harvard, where she was rowing for them. Uh, I worked at Google, where many of my software engineer colleagues were obsessed with fitness. We all did all this crazy working out together, uh, including, like, Oh, at five o'clock, we're gonna go do ab work for an hour and then go back to work because we're God, fucking crazy so people. Lame. The money quote from this, however, if I can find it, no, um, insurance. There we go. I live every day with the fallout of my extreme fitness regimen. I've taken obscene quantities of painkillers, including muscle relaxants, medical marijuana, and opiates. Uh, One year, medical insurance from my tech job paid out five figures for acupuncture, physical therapy, and chiropractor visits. Options that weren't weren't available to me before because of their often staggering cost. Treatments that kept me from doing desperate things to deal with my discomfort. All right. So, uh, before we comment further on that, I want to read another headline from another op-ed, also in the Times. Uh... This is a guest essay. We will all end up paying for someone else's beach house. And this is by someone named Frances Wilkinson. Uh, works at Bloomberg. And she talks about how a lot of these beaches where rich people have their fancy houses right up on the beach only exist because the Army Corps of Engineers dredges up giant uh, boatloads of sand and then replenishes the sand in these areas. There are uh, beaches in Florida and North Carolina that have had this done like tens or dozens of times where they are actually uh, taking what should be a beach that is suffering the fate of natural erosion, possibly as a result of climate change, or perhaps just because that's what happens to shorelines over time is that they change, uh, perhaps accelerated by climate change the point being that like two-thirds apparently of the funding for these programs that go to replenishing beaches is that 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 bill is footed by the federal government one way or another they can't build them or have some sort of agreement people just like beaches so much but i mean uh, these are accessible to the public, right? So are, are these sure? Pu- so the public beaches that are sometimes sometimes they charge people act to access them. Uh, occasionally, I think this has been done along a long stretch of coastline that includes both public and uh, private beach access. And yeah, they do not individually bill the landowners for the full project cost, apparently. And the the reason that these two things connected, not least of which is because I just read them back to back. But there's there's an element of the public being asked or the, the, the society at large being asked to foot the bill for individual 
or or uh, to some extent communal the the communal good of having an accessible beach but also because this happens on private land a lot of the time or is land that is like overwhelmingly owned like the people who are able to go to the beach it's not like it's the fucking 70s where every uh, a bunch of like straw huts or concrete block, brick houses uh, on, the, on the Florida coast where people are renting these places for 150 bucks a week or something like these are enormous 3,500 square foot mansions yeah. uh, that only fancy people go to. So even if it is a public beach, the reality of who owns all of the real estate around that public beach means that it is only being accessed by the top 5% of American incomes anyway, right? right? So you call it a public beach all you want. If all of the houses nearby cost $3.5 million, uh, yeah. <laughs> then it's not it's not effectively a public beach in the way that we would normally think of it, especially if they're charging twenty five dollars a pop or something to let anybody on that beach afterwards. Right. Uh, so so, do you sort of see the connection that I'm seeing there between this woman who, through many years of destroying her body, has now come to rely on her group medical insurance to foot the bill and presumably as as one of the top like one percent of receivers of benefits from that group group insurance why don't i get that health insurance what do you mean like i'm all for things that help people being paid for by the insurance that they paid for right well after you fulfill your fucking shitty six thousand dollar annual deductible or whatever it is that you have to pay into it then yeah okay you, you could presumably okay but first you got to fork over the six grand um i mean for, for my and it does sound like there are two different things i mean one i mean these people paid for this property did they know i don't know do they know that we're taking advantage of some system where they're just like we bought beachfront property and people don't know things no they don't know anything right. but it also comes down to like the the federal flood insurance stuff right. where like at at what point should we be continuing to reinvest in these houses that get knocked down yeah. every two or three years? Yeah. And I think the obvious answer is that we should not be. Uh, but there are so many business incentives and political incentives on the other end uh, forcing people to rebuild. I don't mean forcing, but like encouraging people to rebuild in, in flood-prone or, or sea-level uh, surge-prone areas that – like it would be better if instead we did a retreat from those areas. But you can't do that yeah, in many places. I mean, is is in Miami one of those places where it would be too disruptive to move people out of Miami? Yeah, but <laughs> what are we going to do in fifty years? Like, if uh, they're right, or if they're all even the buildings will fall down right. and everyone will be dead. Florida is fucking at sea level yeah. as it is, yeah. right? Like, and there are there are cities in Florida. I think that like multiple times a year. Like with the tide, like the highest month for the highest tide uh, ends up, you just have just running ocean yeah, water just, in the streets yep. of some of these places. Yeah. And like, what's going to happen if these things, and not in a hysterical sort of way, but like it will either recede that area to the fucking sea, or we spend just an ungodly amount, trillions of trillions of dollars, trying to fortify against the unfortifiable right. like you're not going to win in this fight and and the use of public money uh to continue to fight it strikes me as very wrong right. and bad but on the on the 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 harvard lady uh that seems to be like an outlier how many stories of that do you see usually it'll be like 
lifestyle related health impacts or like, you know, diabetes or whatever, or some other thing where like, if you maybe change different aspects of your life, maybe you wouldn't need as many, I don't know, expensive medication. Right, I'm right? not saying, I'm not saying that she shouldn't be covered right. or that, that, that she somehow should have to pay the wages of her own disastrous psychological I just think condition. she shouldn't complain about right, it because yeah. she's covered. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. What, what's, what's her angle on this? Uh, what, she... like what is her problem exactly? <laughs> like everything works out that for her. That she has good health insurance? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad at her. I'm no, just, but what I is was... her... Uh, her the po- her point of view is what? That like, I did one thing that was not healthy and now I did a second thing that's not healthy? Like, I mean, cutting isn't healthy, but this also is not healthy. But right, right. No, free. she's yeah. she's saying that she that she should have been recognized as being more screwed up than she was actually recognized to okay. be. That there should have been more more of a recognition on behalf of people who were around her that transitioning from a depressed teen who cut herself to feel better to a seemingly peppy and constantly exercising twenty something uh, should it should have been a red flag that that wasn't actually at caught the by same anybody. time maybe someone did yeah like hey yeah. what's with all the exercising yeah. <laughs> she's probably like what it's fine and like what are you supposed to do yeah. with people that's true I think that's probably that has happened I'm sure at least once some care like hey is everything okay what the fuck and maybe they brush them off like. What do you want them to do? Like what institutionalize you? Saying, you? Po- There's got to be a point yeah. at which you just allow yeah. someone to live their life. Yeah, it's like, oh, you like exercise a lot, eh? And then, like, what do you I like? Right, this you know. week, sorry, you want to finish on your no, exercise? I did. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, this week in our bogus future, real quick, Amazon buys Roomba. Uh oh. Which means that Amazon now has access to even more. Of the intimate data recorded inside your house, because Roomba, of course, is a company that makes the robot vacuums that map your floor uh, while they clean maps. up. Yeah, yeah. Are, but ours cap- doesn't make a map. Ours, ours is just the bumps. cheaper one that doesn't make a map. But there are there are Roombas that make maps of the territory and then uh, create battle plans for attacking the the cleaning <laughs> situation and. It's just one more uh, tentacle of the giant Amazon yeah. machine working its way into our everyday lives, which I like. I know it's like it's typical of me, but like I just don't think that it's good. Right. <laughs> There's just no reason that Amazon should be permitted to buy a vacuum company that they already like. They've probably already fucked Roomba eleven ways from Sunday in terms of like undercutting them on the technology. And there's probably an Amazon Basics robot vacuum. Yeah. And if there's not, then there are a dozen other companies that have made shitty knockoff Roombas and sold them on Amazon. Uh, and yeah, I guess the only conceivable reason that Amazon could be buying this company is not because they want to be in charge of a robot vacuum outfit. Like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. They want access to the data that Roomba is collecting along the way. But at the end... And it's it's not good. Right, but this is yet another example. Like, if you provide somebody any level of convenience, if you make something slightly beneficial to them, all the other stuff, privacy concerns, all of that stuff goes out the window. It's like, ah, whatever. This is great. This little thing goes around. Are, Are there... Maybe I'm mistaken. Are there 
uh, models that go up flights of stairs, or is that just in my imagination? No. Okay. Okay. So I'm sure they're no, working on it. No, but there could. Yeah. I'm completely making this yeah. up. But one could, like my Fitbit has an altimeter, so oh. it knows I'm going upstairs. Okay. So you could have it in a Roomba. So if you wanted to make a floor plan of a house, you just it has an altimeter in it, so you know when it's going up and down. Okay. Yeah, but how would <laughs> how would the robot get up and down the stairs? No, no, no. The person would move it. Like it would do the first floor, and then. It would go like the person would pick it up and right. walk upstairs, and Amazon goes, "Oh, okay, this is a new floor." Uh, I see. Start over floor plan. I'm sure they have something like that now, but they should hire me. Clearly, <laughs> I solved the problem there. But like the Get some acupuncture, health insurance, all of those webcam stuff. I mean, they used to have the ring, which is out facing, but now you know sometimes you'll see because of online, there's like some. A, a baby fell backward or something, and that had quick reflex. But it's all like recording people's homes, right? And so I guess the people yeah. that live there have access to it, and they share things when they want. But that well, they nanny cams are not new either, right? But all of these things that kind of like, hey, this seems a little weird. Like I have in all the rooms one of these Google Home things that I talk to from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's listening to me now. I don't know, but like. Offer any convenience. Google's benevolent. Google's yeah. fine. <laughs> like I think no, they used to be. If you offer any convenience, people will overlook all the other stuff. Yeah, well, and this follows because, uh, of course, I think we talked about this on the show. That creepy robot that they introduced last year called the Astro, which hasn't really made any big splash in the culture. Yeah, I haven't heard it. So what it, what does it th- do? The Astro. It. The Astro is like a fucking siri on wheels or a alexa on wheels oh. with a big old tablet face and here i'll show you the i'll share the tab here so you can see it yeah i definitely didn't make a splash i've never heard of it we probably did this is what it looks like Aww. <laughs> it's cute and again it's just it that's uses, what it should look like it uses facial rec- recognition and it follows you around your house oh, and go back up you tell I, it to do words. stuff. Look at that face. <laughs> I like him. Not really no, a face. Fuck that thing. <laughs> anyway, that product didn't take off, and so now there's reason to think that you know we look, you assholes out there, you're not going to buy our cute little robot that follows you around the house and you can tell it things. Instead, we know that you don't like to vacuum, yeah. so we're just going to buy this <laughs> fucking Roomba company instead, and we're going to be in your house uh, whether you like it or not. Right. I'm sure Amazon anyway. doesn't care, yeah. but they can't. Uh, have liked the fact that everyone, as soon as they read this story, they knew exactly why they bought the company, and it had nothing to do with its services yeah. that it provides. It's like, oh, we can get a lot of information from the yeah. customers this way. We're on to yeah. them. But, you know, still going to buy the stuff. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see here. I was watching the Braves this weekend. This is a very quick aside. Washington, the Braves this weekend, a very tough, tough weekend for the Braves. They had a five-game series against the division-leading New York Metropolitan. They only got one of them? And they lost right? They lost four out of five. Mm. They only win one, mm. as you're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in the one win, the starter got absolutely shelled and has now been optioned back to AAA. So like, <laughs> they won the game 9-6 to six and also sent – who is supposed to be their third starter back down to the minors afterwards. Like that, that's how bad this weekend was. 
for the Braves. And you know, it's fine. Like the, the Mets, I fucking hate the Mets, obviously, because uh, they're the Mets and I've hated them for a very long time. On the long list of like hateable Mets teams, though, I regret to admit this. Right? I'm hesitant to admit this. I don't hate this team the way that I would normally hate a New York Mets team. No hateable players? In, like, there's not even one? Well, no, there okay. are. Hate, that's wrong. Okay. There's, there's Pete, first of all, there's Pete fucking Alonzo, who is a former Florida Gator and home run derby meathead who's highly hateable, who I, I do hate. There's a couple of, like, try-hard white dudes who, like, they, like, run to first base after a walk. Oh. And, like, uh, they remind me of a couple of old San Francisco Giants players who I hated. Uh, so there's, uh, like, Brandon Nimmo. Like, fuck Brandon Nimmo. Who fucking cares about you, Brandon Nimmo? You uh, seem to care a little bit. But anyway, uh, uh, like, overall, it's a, it's a difficult team to hate. Like, they have this reliever, the, the Edwin Diaz guy, who strikes out two-thirds of the players that he comes up against so far this year, who throws, like, 102 miles an hour and comes out to, like, mariachi uh, trumpets because he's a he's a Latin guy, uh, which is charming in its own way. It's not stupid like meathead white boy rock that he comes out right. to. So like relatively speaking, I don't hate this team, but they're still the Mets, so I sort of hate this team. Uh, but it is slightly disconcerting because in in large part because I like their shortstop. His name is uh, Francisco Lindor, and he started as a Cleveland Indian a long time ago. He won me my fantasy baseball league a couple of years in a there row it is. during That's his why. his the. <laughs> the peak of his career and I've always liked him and he's just a very difficult guy even as a New York Met to turn on now so wait are you saying he's likable yes like Olivia Newton-John okay uh Frankie Lindor is also likable now ball players can be likable that makes sense to me uh pop stars not so much anyway the point that I'm getting at here in my roundabout way is that I listened to, as I am wont to do when the Mets are playing the Braves, I listened to the Mets' television feed instead of the Atlanta Braves' television feed because I have longstanding antipathy for the Braves' crew. And the the Mets' crew is relatively good. And I stumbled upon one of the reasons why. This is It's headed up by uh, uh, Ron Darling and... and uh, uh, Seinfeld guest star Keith Hernandez is still on this... Uh, He's the the Phantom Spitter. Yeah, remember yeah, that I episode do remember of Seinfeld? That. The Magic Louie? What was that? Uh, Loogie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Ron Darling. Gary Cohen is the third guy who I didn't say. It. Keith, Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, and, and Gary Cohen. They're, in my opinion, the best booth in baseball. That's that's not an unusual belief to have. And I realized, listening this weekend to them, part of the reason why is that they they just really like baseball. And they like to talk about baseball, and they really appreciate the guys on the other team who are also very good baseball yeah. players. And like they get a thrill out of watching even non Mets do really fun baseball right. things. And like that's such a huge part of enjoying a baseball game is just even though like they are they're they're a homer crew like they're rooting for the Mets they want the Mets to win but they have such an even-handed approach to their appreciation for cool baseball stuff that when like Spencer Strider is throwing 100 miles an hour as a right-hander and doing really awesome things as a brave they're like sort of cheering him on when he does something cool and it's like it's 
it's so much fun to watch. When the Braves lost on like a bullshit pitch, what was it? I have no idea what specifically you're talking about. I think it was Saturday night. No, it couldn't have been. It doesn't matter. What is that sound? The Google in the other basement room is talking to you for some reason. Not clear Um, why. I guess it was Friday night then. Like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to edit this. The the Braves lost, the Mets won, and they were sort of like, okay, well, that was kind of bullshit, but we'll take it. Right, yeah, they're just like very... there was a bad call or just an unfortunate play where they were like, oof, right. that they, sucks. They kept, I mean, they good kept thing, talking but about, that they, sucks. They kept talking about how everything is breaking the Mets' way as everything was objectively breaking the Mets' right. way in a way that the Braves announcers would have just been like, well, you know, that's the right moral outcome <laughs> because the Braves are the correct superior moral team. There, and, there must be an audience for the true Homer broadcast because I... I I don't like even like it's not like uh, these Mets people are even handed, but they're rooting for the team. I don't even want I, I don't want people rooting for anybody. Just tell me what the hell is going on. Like like that's why I like whenever there's like a national team, this is oh here's the teams and they just talk about whatever. The problem is that the people who call those yeah. games don't know shit about that anything. That is the drawback. And yes, it's, it's the thing that is annoying when Georgia games are on ESPN. Yeah. You're just like, that's not how you right. say his name. Right. Do you know anything? <laughs> like, at least the SEC crew yeah. kind of knows. Right. No, that's true. Yeah, that, that's a problem. But, like, sometimes there will be, like, in basketball or other sports, like an obvious travel, and they're like, oh, that was a bullshit call. It's like, or like a obvious hold, like in football. And they're like, oh, that was a ticky tacky. It's like, no, that was clearly a hold, even though it's going against the team that I'm rooting for, also. But, like, you can't pretend right. something didn't happen you know it 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 can make listening to like local radio completely insufferable at times when it's your own team but yeah i don't know i I, i'm fine with announcers rooting having a clear rooting interest as long as they are also just appreciating what's going on and at least acknowledging objective reality as we're seeing it unfold before us and as the Mets were getting the benefit of a bunch of very terrible calls by the umpire. They were like, yeah, well, uh, when things are going your way, they're going your way, I guess. Yeah. But like, that was obviously a ball. I don't know why they called that a strike, but it, it, it was just, it just struck me that, and it hadn't occurred to me before, but a large part of what makes the Mets broadcast such a good time is that when a Braves guy does something awesome, they're like, wow, that was awesome. And Austin Riley's a really good baseball player, and it's fun to watch him play baseball. And it's not the sort of thing that you always get uh, from other booths, I think. Okay, good night. Um, I think there was one more thing I wanted Mm -hmm. to hit. Oh, uh, real quick, huge jobs report last week. Oh, yeah. On Friday. Half a, was it half a million yeah. jobs, I think, were added to the economy? Uh, this is on the heels of the second quarter inflation, or, or GDP numbers, rather, uh, showing negative growth. And it seemed to confuse a lot of the, the pundit class, uh, a bunch of people saying, well, this means that we're not in a recession because all of these jobs are being added. And my quick uh, take on this without getting too into it is that uh, massive amounts of cash being infused into the economy causing uh, heretofore unseen inflation in in 40 or 50 years just does weird shit to the economy. 
and there's not there's not anything that we can actually say about uh, the fact that half a million jobs were added uh, last month, besides the fact uh, that if if that also means that wages are going to continue to rise because there's a labor crunch, then all that's going to do is continue to send the inflation rate in the wrong direction. Uh, if if what we want is for it to go down. Right. And it's certainly not going to encourage the Fed to stop raising interest rates anytime soon. So if anything, this jobs number tells me that Jerome Powell and the folks at the Fed are going to continue uh, with their monetary policy of raising interest rates in the hopes of inducing a little bit of a, of a labor crunch and a, and, a, and a recessionary economic environment that will hopefully uh, put a halt to or at least slow down inflation. So in order to right this ship, some people will have to lose their jobs? Is that the general thinking? Like, I mean, it's, just, it's just how it's worked every other time before. And yeah. so it's, it would be like the, the notion of the, as they say in economics, the soft landing, as it's basically never right. happened. So it's a sort of theoretical construct right. that has never come to pass. And only people who deal in the imaginary world of modern monetary theory, uh, which... If this latest inflationary cycle doesn't uh, put a spike through the skull of modern monetary theory, then I guess nothing yeah. will. Uh, but inflation is a thing, and every other time in history that we've managed to combat it, it is uh, either because a recession happened or because we caused one to happen. And that means, unfortunately, unemployment uh, at higher than – Three and a half percent, which is where we're at right now. I'm sure um, this is a very hard job to do, but the uh, the estimates, like because uh, I was watching the morning news and the report comes out at eight thirty, and most of these morning shows start at seven, so they do a little preview. We're anticipating this, you know, the the unemployment rate to be about the same, uh, and uh, we're expecting. And I think the estimate was two hundred and fifty thousand jobs. Right in for right. the month, and then an hour and a half later, it's like five hundred plus, and I'm like, wow, that is not close. Like that's that just reinforces right. what I'm saying, though, which is that giant piles of money stuffed into the economy that doesn't need it. Uh, like inflation, it just does weird shit to the right. economy, and that includes this situation where they just have no idea what to expect, right. and they can guess all they want, and things are just going to be fucking weird for a while, and. And but how does it help to even talk about it? What do you mean? Like, like us? No, no, no. That's what I. For once, I don't mean like us. I mean like, what the fuck? Why can't we just see what happens? Like what? Right. I guess that they are seeing what happens, and they're kind of saying, well, because they're now anticipating that there's going to be some sort of contraction, right? Because of the Fed. Yeah, do but like, what does knowing that yeah. do? Like, what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed? What is it? Well, they no, we're want not from supposed me? to do anything. This is all a cottage industry based around trying to predict what the market is going to do. Ultimately. To what end? Just knowing things. That's what I don't understand. Making like, money. Who is, this is fucking stupid. This is like talking about fucking. Oh, maybe the team, the defense, will be good this time. <laughs> like, why are we talking about it? Let's just watch the game. Because there's all this fucking content to be created about it. What are I you talking about? Why are we here? You've yeah. been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com, castironbrains.com. I will uh, have a show note up for this episode. I didn't do a show note last week because Abe was here. We were doing important oh, yeah. things like uh, hiking <laughs> up the mountain to hiking. Monticello. We were walking uphill. That was a pretty sweet hike, though. It was a... 
It was a walk. I would do that again with other people. I mean, I would also do that Old again people. with Abe, for example. Yeah. But I don't mean that I would never do that again with Abe. <laughs> I would. I would invite other people and then maybe never again. actually go up to Monticello. We didn't. We didn't do the full Monticello no. thing because it's full Monty. Very expensive. And also, we just didn't plan to do that. It was a nice hike that we took. Nah, not too hard, you know. Old people could do it. Everybody could do it. Not too bad. Kids. We watched more movies. Complained like babies half the time, <laughs> despite it being an incredibly easy walk. Oh, yeah. Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. He's in a rock and roll band called Tetramer, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R, music.com. Never heard back, or haven't heard back yet uh, from Jerry. Attitude. After we uh, we he discussed, we oh di- no, he messaged me. Oh, he messaged you. He didn't yeah. message me unless my phone's no, doing he weird was, messaging stuff again. He was talking to me, the wife. Oh yeah, what yeah. do he say to you? Unless I'll he- tell. You, I'm not gonna. He thinks I'm right about everything and that I'm hilarious. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> uh, fucking wife guy in behind my back. You wife guy and my wife. Now you can't be wife guy to all the wives. You got to pick a wife to wife guy. That's not what it says in wife guy. It can be anyone's wife. Fucking guy, wife guy, and all over the place. <laughs> Surprisingly handsome, That's that right. Jerry. Abe, did you go to the, my one loyal friend? Abe, did you go to any? <laughs> any uh, I, uh, go to the movies. I did. I went to go see uh, this uh, movie, which you already text Lori about the goddamn movie <laughs> that you went to. I'm sure, no doubt. <laughs> this wasn't uh, like a wide theatrical release because. It's not in every theater in the city, but uh, B.J. Novak of uh, The Office fame. Uh, he, he Yes, Ryan from The Office. Right. Uh, he made this movie uh, called Vengeance, and it's a silly plot. Um, overall, a decent movie. There's a couple of scenes that I didn't like, uh, but the, the story is basically he's like a journalist and podcaster, and he's just kind of dating a bunch of people, you know, just like a guy in his 30s. or what. He's not like attached to anything, and I guess... He's, like, afraid of commitment. They make a point of that at the beginning. Like, there's, like, this scene of, like, where, like, two douchebags, like, B.J. Novak and, like, John Mayer, like, just talking back and forth about, like, what I assume that they're getting at. Like, those kind of, like, frat bro dudes are grow up and they're, like, kind like, of obnoxious. Like, like, guitar virtuoso and pop star yeah. John Mayer? Yeah, and he's Mayer kind of playing, like, himself almost, yeah. Uh, although gotcha. they don't say that. Anyways, uh he gets a call from somebody in Texas and saying, oh, my God, uh, this woman, I forget the, the character's name, she's dead. And he's like, what? what what's that got to do with me? But he's kind of awkward about it. He's like, um, and he looks through his phone and he finds it's some guy, a girl that he had like a one-night stand with, right? But the family apparently thinks that they're, <laughs> they're like in love with each other, right? And that's because you find out later in the movie that she kind of misconstrued the relationship. And anyways, uh-huh. he is too like uh, – Awkward to just say, look, <laughs> I, I'm sorry for your loss, but uh, I just met the girl one time, right? But, so he flies to right. the funeral. It's sort like, of like that When You Were Sleeping movie. Oh, what? okay. But yeah, so he flies in, and then the whole thing becomes a stupid thing where he's like, oh, this could be like a podcast idea because these yokels believe a conspiracy. Uh, to just doing it for the show. <laughs> he's doing it for yeah. the content. So he sticks around relate. because he, he's like, I'm not getting a lot of play in my uh, – NPR, but it's called something else. Like Terry Gross, you can hear Terry Gross. She's on this NPR program, but it's not NPR. Anyways, uh, there are a couple of scenes where it's like all these fucking people, they're simple-minded, 
he kind of lashes out at them like they're simple-minded, and that's why they cling to conspiracy theories, because it explains things away. Life is a lot harder than this. Figure it out. Basically, they took him in. They treated him like, you know, what they thought was the case, that this woman, their daughter, loved him. But he was, like, the whole time, just, like, your stereotypical, like, coastal elite guy, whatever. So the movie's right. kind of centered around that. And then Ashton Kutcher shows up. Uh, it, it was a decent enough movie. But then, like I said, there's a couple of scenes that just were, like, too obnoxious to, to say. Decent to- enough movie. I'm trying to translate Abe's rating scale <laughs> to, like, a normal rating scale. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three it's, like, a B-minus. Yeah, is that yeah. about a B-minus movie? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just like there were just two scenes. Just like, come on, that is too on the nose, too obnoxious. Like, you people are this, and I'm better than you, kind of thing. Is this a B.J. Novak like joint? Was this him uh, like writing and directing? I, I don't know if he directed it, it, but I think he had a hand in writing it. Gotcha. That reminds me that we didn't talk about like what I thought was going to be the main thrust of tonight's show, which was the Alex Jones oh. stuff. Oh, and well, we don't have my to. My pet theory that I'm currently workshopping in my head that we live in the age of the guru and that the the you can explain almost everything that's wrong with the world or at least our, our current media environment with the idea that People seem to think that everybody who listens to anybody believes that that person is right about everything. Right. And then <laughs> there's an element of uh, – Bob. I, I'm, I'm not going into it because this is a 45-minute long conversation. I recognize that. You're starting it. Just stop talking. I'm just <laughs> saying that – I think that America has always been susceptible to, as a culture, like it won't this like the idea that we live in the age of the guru is probably ridiculous to anyone who's thought about this in any serious way, because this is a country that has been awash in fucking gurus going back to the fucking founding. Uh, but there's something about the medium of the internet of being online that has infused guruism with ev- like everything is just fucking the guru right. now and. There's a weird way that living in the age of the memoir actually speaks to the age of the guru as well. There's a, there's a bigger, uh, more complex and probably ultimately dumber idea somewhere at the heart of this thing that I'm circling around that uh, perhaps we'll get to explore in future episodes of Cast Iron Brains. Well, we watched E.T. We did. We watched Ooh. E.T. with the kids. Look at that. Another absolute... Spielberg classic that I probably hadn't seen straight through in 20 years or more and is just so fucking good. It's so good. And it makes me mad how good everyone in this movie is all the way down to the small bit players who don't have anything to say really, who maybe have a line or two in the same way that everybody in the movie Jaws it is, is an entirely believable part of that town, and like nobody looks like they're pretending. I think when you were here and we were watching, uh, we were watching the Gray Man again. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we watched it twice. We, uh, as you may or may not have suspected, after having listened to us disparage the Gray Man for twenty minutes at the end of last week's episode, we then went upstairs and put the Gray Man <laughs> on television for some reason. I'd never seen it. So and the thing that jumped out at me the second time watching that movie was, I, I recognize, of course, the artifice of the thing. Like, we're just watching people pretending. 
but it's rarely so it's it's more and more obvious now in the the era of the green screen where nothing is real and like you watch the avengers or whatever and it's like oh this is just a bunch yeah. of fucking adults pretending shit yeah. like this movie was just a bunch of people standing around pretending shit and it didn't matter how good the actors were it was just adults playing pretend and that never happens in spielberg movies like he's just so good at gathering the right people and picking the right shots and and the right di- like whatever it is i don't know exactly a lot of it is casting i think but the people who inhabit Spielberg movies fully inhabit Spielberg movies and seem completely of a piece with the world that they're meant to represent. And if we're going to connect it to the Gray Man and the Spielberg oeuvre, I think that the in the Gray Man there was that weird guy who was like obviously in a disguise, who was his his job was to be a, a identity changer for Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling shows up. And he ends up getting trapped in this guy's basement because he had a trap door. And it was all a setup from the right. beginning. He's, a, he's supposed to be like this unique character, like this quirky fucking weird character who we're supposed to get a strange feeling from. And instead, it just feels like a guy in a bad goatee who's pretending to be the yeah. thing that we expect him to be there. Whereas if you go back to uh, in Minority Report, when Tom Cruise has to go and get his eyes changed out by the creepy weirdo in the dirty apartment yeah. who does eye surgery in his fucking bathtub. And the, like robots were that coming. That guy looks yeah. – yeah. right, right, and the robots would come in. But the guy who does the eye surgery is a total fucking quirky, yeah. eccentric fucking weirdo really seems like he's that guy living in that world actually performing those right. surgeries and that if we could get to 2150 or whenever that that movie is supposed to take place and you found the right apartment to knock on in Washington DC that fucking guy would right. be there doing weird eye surgeries right. and it wasn't just a guy playing pretend you know, and like it's it's hard to put your finger on why it matters or what exactly it is that's going on there but spielberg movies always seem to have all of these people who truly inhabit the world that they're living in unlike the fucking gray man which is just a bunch of grown-ups playing right i am totally making this up but i suspect uh one camp they look at the main actors and they think everything else is not significant and the other camp yeah, Every role is important. It doesn't matter how few roles you have. So they devote as much energy on the smallest characters as they do the biggest characters. It, it'll yeah. show. There's a there's a documentary called Casting By, and it's about casting directors and how important they are and how bullshit it is that there just, like, isn't an Academy Award right. for yeah. it is one yeah. thing. But, like, totally just not talked about as, like, pivotal to the movie being the right. movie that it yeah. is like it's a great it's a great little yeah. documentary it was it's, on hbo a long time ago it's one thing to get a great performance out of one kid in a movie which spielberg does in et like elliot gives i have no idea if the guy acted again like i have no idea but he gives a fucking world-class performance of the kid who actually seems like he's experiencing the things as they're happening. But he gets it out of Drew Barrymore, he gets it out of the older brother, and he gets it out of all of the brother's friends who are just, like, random teens who you wouldn't even think matter. But ultimately, like, the fact that they seem to fully inhabit that world uh, sells the entire fucking thing. And I something that I'd never noticed before watching this movie, or maybe I hadn't, I just haven't thought about it, uh... You don't see any of the adults' faces except for his mother's face until the very end of oh, wow, the movie. Really? 
and then they are all presented as as sort of boogeymen to a certain extent. And that's it's such a crazy choice that I'd somehow never noticed before. Uh, and it's super obvious. It's not like I'm like noticing something that isn't. Yeah, it's very shouldn't obvious. be supremely like obvious to everyone. But almost like when you watch Peanuts, like it's that level of like of watching like an old yeah, you see Peanuts hands. cartoon. You see the the grown ups hands and the, and them from the waist down. And then when you hear them talk, it's wop 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 wop. Right. Uh, it's the same thing with this movie. Like the, none of the adults fucking matter until the very end. It's it's just that, spectacular. Uh, we also oh you go oh ahead. no I was just gonna say that uh, the 40th anniversary. Uh, they're doing a thing at AMC, and I'm going to make it a point to watch this movie in the theater this weekend. That's right. You know, which I've never seen. It's like a so you're going to see ET one, this weekend. Yeah, it's like a, they're doing an IMAX release, um, and a, yeah, one of the movies the, I've never seen. It out again. So that should be fun. Awesome. Yeah. yeah no, so we good. we couldn't uh, stream it, so we I just ordered the uh, 4K from oh, nice. Amazon, and we were able to to watch it at home. And we if, also watched the Woodstock documentary. On oh Netflix. yeah, yeah, that one sucked. The ninety nine. I've, I've seen two episodes. I, for some reason, I don't know. My memory is not that good, but I, I remember. I mean, I like this one better than. I don't know what it is about the HBO version one, but the H. Oh, you like this one more? Yeah, than the HBO like because I just it just kind of flowed a little bit easier. This one seems much shittier. Yeah. This one to me, this I'll one to me it. was it was both way shittier, but also it didn't have any of the stupid like. They weren't trying to build in I think political fraughtness that, maybe, that was right. built into the right. other one. This one, I did see. First of all, there was a lot more like footage. I was like, I've, 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 I didn't see half of the stuff they yeah. were showing. I was like, wow, that. This one still doesn't do right. a very good job of of actually explaining how the day progresses from one moment to the next. It's very much like, here's what happened at 12 noon, and then it was 9 right, o'clock that's, at night. Yeah, like, because initially, <laughs> I was thinking they're like, going to do the whole thing, but yeah, there was a lot of gaps. There were a lot of acts that they didn't even mention. Like, they just went from this act to that right. act. And, it, yeah. To me, there, despite the fact that there are now two full-blown, multi-hour Woodstock 99 documentaries available on streaming services... The definitive Woodstock '99 documentary has not yet been made. Right. If, oh, if, if it's going it. to be made, it I is not yet out love, there. I love, I love the story. I'll, wa- I know it. I'll watch it over and over again. I'll read every article about it. I think it's fucking hilarious. I wonder, is that where? Because oh, every festival that I've been to since, I mean, the Coachellas and the Music Midtowns when we used to have them, uh, they, they would make it a point to where like water is available. Like they're like, we can't fuck people out of their waters like so they'll have like watering yeah. stations and stuff like that and back then they were like trying to get every dollar out of people uh right right no they solved the water problem it's, the rapes we'll get to right. the rapes yeah, eventually yeah. but but the water they <laughs> the figured water, out water that's the same problem it's just like everything is everything they, yeah. the water problem was the rape yeah. problem if everyone had been hydrated we wouldn't have had the rape problem yeah. we're also now we have one week to go of the anarchists. The anarchists will wrap up next Sunday night. I'm kind of sad. I'm going to miss them. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm going I to miss them. I think that the surprise twist ending is that anarchy doesn't oh, work. No. I think that's what we're going to find out at you the end. You guys are a couple of episodes ahead of me. No one's dead yet? Oh, yes, there are deads. Oh, okay. There, yeah, there was, right, I'll circle back to that. We, so. have two dead, we have two deads now out yes. of, I think... Like I, I still think there's Holy one more shit, body two to go. Dead people? Uh, just based on, based on the interviews that we're not seeing. I don't seeing. think so, but it's, it's really funny that these people think they're right about yeah. stuff for no reason. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. The one thing that appeals to me about the anarchists is that they generally are less. I mean, 
in theory, they should be less likely to fall for the guru trap. No, they're not. But instead, they very much do over and over again fall into the guru trap. Uh, But you would think that that would be a group of people who who don't have the guru problem that the rest of us do. Uh, I think that's it. We didn't watch much else, right? Just the Braves and... Sex Room. Oh, yeah, that stupid show that we're somehow still watching for some reason. Many rooms. We turned on The Secret with Kate Oh, yeah, Holmes. we watched a, a classically bad movie. We didn't watch movie. it. You turned the it off. Secret, the, uh, the Secret was a book from the mid-2000s that got famous because of Oprah. Uh, it's like the power of uh, positive oh, thinking and okay. manifesting your reality by... Yeah, they made a yeah, fucking with movie Katie Holmes. with Katie Looking Holmes, old. and like Jerry O'Connell plays her she dirtbag boyfriend. She looks old because she hasn't had a bunch of work done. She just looks like people look when they get oh, older, yeah, and it she, sucks. I think it's great that that is one positive thing I'll say about Katie Holmes. She does. She doesn't look as like she looked when she was fucking twenty, and she also doesn't. Who looks better, Katie Holmes or Jennifer Connelly? Yeah, Jennifer Connelly looks okay, better. Okay, that's the difference. You can look like both things. You yeah. can look like Jennifer Connelly, sure. or you can look like Katie Holmes. But if I saw Jennifer Connelly like out at the bar after you've died, and I haven't told anyone about <laughs> it yet, yeah. I I'm not going to approach Jennifer Connelly. But after not a, approaching after, Katie Holmes, after either. a couple of beers, I might think <laughs> you won't. that no, not if it was Katie Holmes, <laughs> but someone who no, looks like Katie Holmes, <laughs> I could imagine having a shot at if she looked like Jennifer Connelly. I recognize that that's not uh, within the the punt coverage, so to speak. So this is the secret: dare to dream. <laughs> Yes, and it's a very terrible movie, and I don't recommend that anyone watch it. Oh, I'm going to watch this. Are you kidding me? (laughs) It is fun because uh, all this bad shit happens to Katie Holmes until she and her family start thinking more positively. And then all of this wildly good shit happens to Katie Holmes, and that's the movie. What causes them to start (laughs) thinking positively? Because they read the book or something? Uh, Because some dude shows up with a patent that's worth millions of dollars that actually legally should rightfully be hers and therefore all of her problems oh. are solved. Uh, spoilers by the way sorry apologies for those of you out there who are going to watch the secret i think that's right because what i did was i went to amazon prime and i said because we were looking for something stupid to put on while we fell asleep and i said you know what i'll do i'll go to amazon prime they always have something <laughs> stupid to watch because they are a terrible streaming service they're not a streaming service as far as I'm concerned. No, but they do uh, deliver us E.T. in wow. very short order so that we can watch it uh, in physical media. Yep. That's some One more thing that we didn't talk about that I meant to talk about for two weeks running, which is that story that came out about how they were going to edit Stranger Things or they might have done some ghost edits to season one of Stranger Things. This is among... Uh, a long list of reasons to own physical media in the form uh-huh. that uh, somebody can't come through and fucking change That's it on true. you. Like Spielberg in, in 2002 or whenever that was, they re-released uh, E.T. the first time. He had edited the movie to take out the guns and instead replace them with walkie-talkies. He would go on to regret that change and in the, the, the 40th reissue that they're going to do and in the 4K version that I have, it's been restored to the original theatrical okay. release with a little bit of the of the digital editing left in, but none of the substantive edits 
changed. And Spielberg has since said that once it's printed in whatever year that that movie fucking comes out, he's not touching right. it. Like, he believes that that's a historical artifact that should not be fucked with and that, that whatever flaws are there are flaws that were there because it was 2006 right. or whatever. And like, he doesn't want to go back and But that and should be understood. Them. Like, of course. Like, just let it be. Right, that should be the baseline. And the idea that we're going to go that that like Netflix can go back and change shit 10 years later because of the changing sensibilities is like that's a nightmare yeah. world. That's a classic Arbogus future thing where they're going to be able to go back and because nobody actually owns any of the shit that we're meant to uh consume that they can just change it behind your back and like like the you think the Mandela effect is bad oh, yeah. now, where people aren't sure about like the Berenstein Bears and whether there's an E or an A at the end there, when people are going back and editing all like everybody gets to Joanne Reed their entire back <laughs> catalog of any content that they've ever produced. We're gonna be living in a in a world that like like you think it's post truth now with Alex Jones is just allowed to talk random shit into the microphone. How about when we're now editing our entire past based on the current uh, uh, moral understanding of what's true and right. good? You can buy Stranger Things on physical media. Yeah, and if the Stranger Things is important to you, uh, in no, a it's not. I'm just saying sense, one can. I recommend that you. Right. That that's the way to consume yeah. media is to continue oh, VHS. Continue to invest. That's cute. You can buy it on VHS. <laughs> of course that's you fucking can. Does it come with a VHS? Continue to invest <laughs> in physical media because it's the only way to actually own anything. Right. Anyway, uh, we've now crammed 30 minutes of nonsense since I said you've been listening. So, Abe, have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I do, actually. Uh, oh. 28 years ago, Super Punch-Out! came to the Super Nintendo. All right? This is a game. Uh, little Mikey would fight fucking guys, right? And he'd do the thing. Yeah. And it's a sequel to the Punch, game Punch-Out!, Punch which was yep. on the Nintendo Entertainment System. 28 years later, a secret has been in uncovered in that Ooh. game which is that there was a built-in two-player mode that you can right now if you uh, punch in the correct series of buttons on your super cheat. nintendo it's controller a, it's not a secret it's a cheat no it's just a hidden option where you can play as the opponent you can have a two-player match in a game that up until for the last 30 fucking years nearly has been a one-player game there's actually a two-player mode wow. hidden inside the game that was only discovered this week and in fact you can do if you have it on nintendo switch online any of the versions of this game it's been ported half a dozen times right now you could go online i'll put the link in the show notes. you heard it here first you can you did not or a you, second you saw it on like ars technica three days ago probably but uh, in the event you that you it didn't before. see it on ars technica three days ago you heard it here at some point <laughs> nobody's still listening this is fucking i said we were done three times nobody's right, still good here. night i guess that's all we've got for tonight then we will talk to you next time uh, later <laughs> just gonna do this it would be fine yeah. you rely on the crutch of editing to make try to make things sound perfect which is impossible kind of like you're writing it is an extension of that particular but problem like, but just speaking of which thing. i was reading something that a project that i was 
it's literally a story idea that goes back five or six years, which it, it's funny that Lori says it the way that she said it, because it's a story idea in the loosest sense that goes back six years, because it's based on a single sentence that I wrote that I, I believe to be a perfect sentence, which is not to say that I have not fiddled with it. Uh, because you could of, just tweet the sentence and be done with it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Someday I'm going to get on Twitter and someone will have tweeted the sentence, and then Lori will come home and I'll be dead in the bathroom. <laughs> the irony being that it was just one of my alternate accounts, and I'd done it in an addled state and didn't realize it, and then stumbled upon it later. Anyway, not that it's an untweakable sentence, but in in my head it's a perfect sentence. And it was like, this is a sentence that belongs in a story. And eventually I figured out that it's a sentence that belongs in at, as part three of a three-part story <laughs> of a much... <laughs> Lori shaking her head already. But the, uh, this is why you'll never do anything. <laughs> right. So I'm building to the point where I can then... Because I, I, I wrote the story in like half a dozen different ways off of that one sentence before realizing that the reason that this wasn't working is because there's two thirds of a story to tell before we get to this one sentence. Right. Uh, and that was like six years ago. <laughs> and uh, I did a lot of work on it last year and I picked it up again in the last week or so. Um, but anytime I go back to pick something up, from before ah, this whole thing needs to be rewritten it's literally yeah. like sentence by sentence going through and if I can make it through a paragraph without substantially changing something well your paragraphs uh, are a page long so to be fair Five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, never in doubt.